This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 56. I'm Carl Valeri, and I'm here with one of my favorite co-hosts, Eric Crump. Welcome, Eric. Hello, Carl. Hey, you know, we are actually in a really cool spot here. You know, I love my job, and one of the reasons I love my job is I get to hang out with uh, people like you in really interesting places. Uh, We are at Winter Haven Airport. It's uh, actually a center of incredible aviation excellence because Polk State was here. Your check's now, in the mail, Carl. They, they, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I, I, I'd have to say that I am, I've had a really good week flying. I, I really like my job, and I think that's something we don't talk about much, uh, or enough, I should say, is the fact that, you know, I really, really enjoy going to work. I, I got to fly to San Francisco this week and stayed in San Mateo and had some uh, really interesting time. It was, it was a, a wonderful time. The only thing is, though, I had to do it on Thanksgiving, or excuse me, Thanksgiving, on uh <laughs> I, I did work Thanksgiving also, but I I, I did Wrong it during season, the yeah, during the Easter holiday, and uh, and I did work Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's the downside to to working this job, but I tell you what, it's it's worth it. I, I get to go to see some wonderful places. Got to see some amazing sunsets. Flew up and down the coast the next day. Went up to Newark and back. Not that Newark is a place that most people tend to go to 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 visit. But you did but it without did, weather. Yes, I did it without weather. So it was like to uh, enjoy the ride. I, I remember talking with you. I was like, gosh, it's like living, uh, flying in the in the family room. And as you know, I fly an Airbus A320, uh, for those of you that are new to the program. And this is uh, where we talk aviation careers and give you an inside look into uh, aviation careers and what it's like to actually to, to fly Well, uh, and do everything else, you know, mechanics, etc. One thing that we like to do is answer questions from our listeners, and that's what today's uh, podcast is going to be about. It's going to be answering those questions from listeners. Uh, really quickly, though, before we get started, a few announcements. First, if you want to get the show notes for this and all the links that we talk about, you don't have to write them down. Down, just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 56. If you have any questions that you want answered on this show, you can go to aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact and uh, send us a note there. It's really easy. You can also do feedback at aviationcareerspodcast. Also, if you do enjoy this and uh, you want to help contribute, make sure you visit our sponsors there at uh, aviationcareerspodcast.com on the right column there. Well, Eric, let's get started with the questions. We have a lot here, and I'm trying going to try to get through it's these. It's because you have too many and, listeners, Carl. And, uh, <laughs> That's the problem. There are too the many way, of you guys out there. You know, and, and I do appreciate the listeners. Just a quick aside, you know, thanks. We, we reached that over 100,000 goal that we wanted. And uh, the other thing, too, uh, I know that I mentioned this, and I want to put a plug in for Stuck Mike Avcast. It's an aviation podcast about learning to fly living to fly and loving to fly and it's it's really about general aviation it's not so much in the career field but it's it's we do talk a little bit about careers and it's a lot of fun and if you could just uh, go check that out between the two we've uh, had uh, about 300,000 downloads so far so it's been been an exciting ride and I can't wait well, for the next few years out good content. yes and the good content is because of the wonderful guests that we have like Eric Crump and all the other folks that we've had on this show Eric comes with a, a great amount of knowledge he's actually the aerospace director for Polk State College and he's going to talk a little bit about that later when we ask him about his contacts uh, but let's start with our first question here let's get going here because boy we have a lot and and by the way, 
I know I've been, it's been a tough uh, month in trying to get your questions answered. I'm a little backed up. I'm finally to, it's April right now. April 1st is the last question I had. So I'm, I'm catching up. This is the end of the month of April. It was because I purchased Stuck Mike and also had Sun and Fun. And that was, uh, that's why I'm trying to catch up here. Enough of the excuses. Let's go on with the first, uh, first question. Do it. First email is uh, from somebody who asks, is it possible to have a strong family life and be a pilot? That's something important to me. I want a family. Well, I think so. Let, let me talk about it from, from the airline pilot's perspective. And I thought that I wouldn't be able to because of the fact that I'd be away so much. And Eric, I know you know some people that have been away a lot. And I will say there are some people that have had some family lives wrecked because of this career. But there's also ones that have said it's added to their family life and been beneficial because when you're home, you're home. I'll give you a good example. This month, I was able to maneuver my schedule. So, you know, I, I'm working weekends, but that's all I'm working. So I'm off from Monday through Friday, but I work Saturday and Sunday. So I'm working like, well, actually, I only work six days this month. But in reality, I was able to be home quite a bit. But it's not always like that. I'll give you, a, you know, like next month, I have 13 days off. And that's, you know, a pretty tough schedule for, for an airline pilot. Now, Eric now is shaking his head, but but you have to realize that when I'm away, I'm away. So there's part of my schedule. I'll be gone for eight days straight. So if I wanted to see my kids or I want to see my family, I wouldn't be able to. And a lot of times I'm in some other country. So that's one of the downsides. But yes, you can have a family life. As a matter of fact, uh, when I'm home, I'm home. I know guys that actually they run the baseball teams. They get a little more senior, get a better schedule. And they can run a baseball team on the side, their kids' hockey team, or whatever it is. So, yes, you can have a family life, but you better have a talk with your spouse and the rest of your family about this because you're going to go away for long periods of time, especially during training periods where you might be gone for four, five, six weeks at a time. It's not like being in the military, but uh, you get stints at home. But it can be sometimes as tough as that, depending how close you, uh, you are to work, too. Another big part of this career is how close you are to work. If I lived near the airport I worked at, oh my gosh, I'd be home all the time. I know guys that are never away. I, I have a friend that hasn't done an overnight in three years. He's been home every single night. So it's up to you, really. So, But from that perspective, though, I think Eric has, I think that's one of the reasons that drove him into the career that he has now. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I thought my entire uh, training, all my when I was really interested in aviation, but really had no idea what it was, um, I, I, I wanted to be an airline pilot. It's all I ever wanted to do. Um, and then when I got to college, I, I learned a lot more about what the airline career is and realized for what I wanted to do, uh, while eventually I would get to the point, like where Carl is now, where he's able to you know, pick a schedule that uh, benefits you know his, uh, his needs and his wants, um, I knew that uh, on the onset, an early part of my career, it would be difficult to do that, especially sit in reserve and things like that and, and dealing with those kind of schedules. How early in your career did you decide this? Um, this was um, re really early on. I mean, this is actually not even in the career field. This is in the still in training, um, probably like between my private instrument rating. But, uh, you know, right as I got to college, and it's one of the good things about really committing to the career path and going through um, an academic pursuit because you really learn more about the career than just flying the airplane. It's a lot about the lifestyle. It's a lot about the demands of the job, too. And so I, I just realized for what I wanted to do, I didn't, I didn't want that period at the beginning of my career where I was going to be gone a lot. Um, and so um, at that point, that's where I became really interested in corporate aviation and the opportunities that involved, uh, which is why I ultimately went that path. And, you know, in a three-year period, I had three overnights. Um, wow. It was mostly day trips, um, a lot of cool trips, 
Um, you know, we went as far west as uh, uh, Dallas, as far north as um, uh, East Hampton. So, um, you know, I've been up into the northeast and as far west as Texas. But, you know, you're flying out of Atlanta. Um, it's a lot of real estate, a lot of uh, banking trips and things like that. So you, you, there aren't many overnight. It's out and backs. Um, and I loved that. I loved the ability to do that. And it kept, uh, you know, it kept my, my evenings usually and mostly my weekends open because business doesn't, they don't travel on the weekends. So I could instruct on the weekends if I wanted to, or I did have time where I could take off and, and, and do, uh, you know, family stuff. But uh, especially with kids, with small kids, for me, it was important to, to be home. I wanted to eventually get to a point where I had, you know, a nine to five type job where I came home in the afternoon and it was always my intention to get back to collegiate aviation because I loved it so much when I was in the learner's position. And uh, so when this college program fell on my lap, it was exactly what I wanted. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, and I've said this before, but aviation is such a niche business. There are so many different opportunities, so many different, you know, various aspects to careers in aviation that you can find the career with the schedule that you want, like what you're doing now, Carl. I mean, right. and I shake my head at you because it's just, I wish, I wish I could sit at my house for 13 days, but... You know, even on, you know, uh, winter break or spring break, I'm not, I'm at home, but I'm still working because there's still things that need to be done, emails that have to be answered. The great thing about a flying career where you are flying, when you're not at the airport or in the airplane, you're not working. You don't have to, you don't have to plug in because you're not working. You are actually 100% home. And there's a huge, there's a huge benefit to that too. Now, the person's question is about being a pilot. Do you actually get to fly? I do. I do. And the cool thing is I get to fly when I want to. <laughs> I don't have to. I never have to fly, which um, which is a neat, a neat thing about being in this field. I get to fly when I want to, um, whether that's getting an airplane and going up and working on my own proficiency. Um, I still like to go up in a 172 and see if I can perfect my short field landings just because it makes me a better pilot. Um, I like to go up and do observation flights with students. I like to see where their skills and knowledge are. Sometimes I'm just a silent observer in the back of the airplane while instruction's going on. Sometimes I'm actually up in the in the front seat too. So I get to fly when I want to, which is nice. Um, and even you know, even flying uh, for corporate, obviously you're, it's your career. You're flying all the time. But um, but no, it was important to me that I had the ability to come home. Um, I, I kept having this vision that you know I was going to get a call that my wife was in labor and I would be you know, across the country somewhere on a four-day trip. And, you know, eventually I would get back, and but I wouldn't be there to see my kid born. And, you know, for some people, that's a huge deal. For other people, it, it's about the career path. And it, that's why you have to have a spouse who's on board with what you're doing. And um, luckily, my wife and I both went through a collegiate aviation program together. She's a pilot also. So we both knew what we were getting into. Like, we, we understood what the career was going to be. Um, and that's ultimately why I picked the path I did and why she picked the path she did. Um, she didn't want to be on trips either. She became an airport planner. Um, and, um, and I went into corporate aviation. So we, we found the niches that supported what we wanted to do in aviation. It kept us in the business. We found the perfect spot for us, but we also built a family life because that was important to us too. And I think you can absolutely fly and be a pilot. I did it. Um, mm. Fly and be a pilot. <laughs> you can. I'm, I'm taking over. Yeah, taking over for you me. should. Actually, you should <laughs> you be should flying fly if be you're a pilot. pilot. Um, but you know, you, you can definitely be. Uh, you can definitely have a family and be a pilot. I did it. Yeah, and and, and also you can have a. If you're not going to fly full time, say, you, you can easily have a family and do that. And, and say you want to stay in your your current job. Another thing too, I think a lot of people allude to in this question is that I'm a little bit older. You know, what should I do? You know, should I go forward? Well, there's other avenues of aviation you get in, get into. But answering your specific question, yes, you can have a family 
and be a pilot. And it, it's very, it, it's easy to do for some, not so much for others. There's a lot of planning involved. So again, thanks for the question. Well, moving on to our next question. Uh, it uh, comes from a listener who's uh, from Papa Indonesia. Uh, it says, Carl, thanks so much for your podcast. I've been a listener since episode one and have recommended it several of my friends. Let me introduce myself a bit. I'm flying Cessna caravans in the jungles of Papua, Indonesia. I've been doing this for about 10 years and love every minute of it. I hate to use the title bush pilot, quote unquote, but I guess that's the phrase most are familiar with. I prefer mountain pilot. I like that. That's a good one, mountain pilot. I have about 7,000 hours total time and 4,000 hours in the caravan. My question is about my daughter. She grew up here and has her flying in her blood ever since the early years. Nothing like having to take a plane to school and back. (laughs) That's incredible. She's now finishing her sophomore year at a university in Texas as a professional flight and ATC major. Her goal is to fly with the majors eventually. Due to the no 1,500-hour rule, uh, I know it's a little less for accredited universities, she's beginning to think about her next step. I could easily get her a job flying with my small 135 operation flying caravans. She could fly about 1,000 hours a year, so quickly build time and also pay off her student debt quickly because the pay here is very good. Plus, you have the advantage of not paying U.S. tax. My question really is, would she be better off finding a job in the U.S. flying a twin, such as a Kinger, or would the airlines accept the caravan as quality turbine time? Even though she would have very little twin time, I could see her getting 2,000 to 2,500 hours of caravan time in two years here versus quite a bit less if she was flying a King Air over in the U.S. What do you think? Would the added benefit of being able to pay off her student loads outweigh the lack of twin time? Thanks so much. I look forward to your response, Brian. Well, Brian, I think it's important to have that multi-engine time, uh, but also it sounds like there is a great opportunity to build quite a bit of time. I know there's uh, the one thing, though, you have to be careful of is there's certain minimums with the airlines as fully as multi-time, and you also will need to have your multi-engine ATP before you arrive. So that that is, is fairly important. So make sure you, you, you look at that and say hey to, you, to yourself, I, how is this person – going to eventually get that multi-time. The opportunity, though, that you have, I'll give you an example. In my life, I did that myself. I had an opportunity to make really good money as a flight instructor. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but I was in a great mar- market, and I was staying there, and I built, gosh, I built over, well, quite a few hours. I won't tell you how many, but it, it's more than a 1,000 hours in a year. And people are like, well, you can't do that. You sure can. It's it's amazing if you're flying all the time. Well, also, what happened is when I, I was there, I got the opportunity to fly a twin and started building twin time. I was able to get hired with an airline with 76 hours of multi-engine time. And you're kind of you're seeing that again now. Uh, but, but when the market turned sour, I remember my story where I couldn't get a, hired anywhere because of the multi-time. Uh, there is something to be said, though, about paying off your bills. Uh, another example is I actually delayed my movement to a major airline because I wanted to pay off my bills. If you're at a regional airline, you can definitely make a good living, and I was, and I decided what I'm going to do first is pay off my bills, then move on. Uh, When I paid off my bills, unfortunately, there was a downturn in the economy, so I couldn't move on. But then again, I was able to save a lot more money. So when I made the transition to the majors, the big pay cut didn't matter as much. So I think that's important. I know that... uh, Eric, you have some comments as far as 
what you feel as far as what what she might sure do. you know i had sort of a similar situation i guess um built up a ton of single engine time um i'll i'll be specific i, I built a little over 1200 hours in a year um and yeah you can absolutely do that um you need a you need a good market you need um you need a, a school that has a good reputation or you as an independent instructor, you, you need to build a reputation for yourself either as, you know, a specialty instructor and, you know, glass cockpits or cirruses or whatever it is. But it's it's definitely doable. It's not a – and I've talked to many people like Carl who've had the same experience. Um, so, you know, building building the single engine time and paying off your bills for me is definitely number one priority. That's what uh, – if I had to choose between multi-engine time for some amount of money or single engine time – that would allow me to pay off my bills, I would absolutely take the latter option. Um, and I will say just from conversations I've had with regional carriers right now, I won't say that they don't care about multi-engine time, but I would almost say that they don't care about multi-engine time. Um, do you need a multi-engine rating? Yes. Do you need a multi-engine ATP? Yes. Do they care how much multi-engine time you have? Well, let's not say yes or no, but I will say that um, we're back to the same position where Carl was. You know, I started flying 135 multi-engine right seat with, I don't know, 35, 40 hours of multi-time and then, you know, built up my multi-time from there. Um, just in a conversation I had, and I won't name any names, but a uh, conversation I had with a regional carrier, I was just talking about, not I'm not looking to go fly for the regional airlines. I was just curious, based on where I am and how long it took me to get there and whatever, I was just saying, okay, so if, if a pilot came to you with the credentials I currently hold, um, they said it would, it would be no issue to hire a person you know, with less than 100 multi at this point, just because the need is so great. And it's um, that's a huge deal. Now, for to say, you know, to fly 135 in the States in a multi-engine airplane for a King Air, you're not getting left seat in a King Air under 100. I can guarantee you that. It's not going to happen. So when you're thinking about, you know, do I want to build up a whole bunch of single-engine time and get some money out of the country, or do I want to try to fly a King Air in-country, the money's not going to be good, and it's going to be a long time before you're logging PIC. Because you're going to have to build up a ton of time to get that opportunity. Because the 135s, just their their multi-engine hiring requirements are going to be far higher than what the regionals are looking at right now, um, just based on the nature of their operations. So, you know, I mean, not to you know twist your arm or anything. And also, I think you, Carl, you probably have a lot of listeners that are wondering if Brian is open to adoption right now <laughs> for the crazy opportunity <laughs> over sure. there. I'm I'm wondering, Brian, are, are you mind. adopting? <laughs> if you, you know, I'm. Uh, I have some kids who have some instant grandbabies. If you want to adopt me, I'd love to come over there and, and fly your your caravan. Um, but uh, anyway, no, I, I would definitely recommend the uh, you know single engine time and some cash to pay off the loans because, quite frankly, next five to ten years, I don't see the multi engine thing becoming an issue again. No. Well, when I responded to him in this email, I had said that you know the best thing to do is get as much PIC multi time as you can. Uh, if there's an opportunity, and I'd asked him if there was an opportunity where where they were down in uh, Papa, and he also said uh, uh, he got back to me. As a matter of fact, with my with a response, I also mentioned the fact that you know it is good to make that money, but <clears throat> here's the priority: if you can get multi-engine PIC, do it. You know, but but if you have this opportunity that you you can give to your daughter, that's that's also terrific too. The thing you have to find out is was where you can get that multi-PIC and and have the balance. But we'll talk a little bit about that. Let me let me uh, read more into his, his response to my response. And this is actually really interesting. And I think it'll help a lot of our listeners. He says, thanks for your response. I do hope my daughter will be able to find a job flying a multi-engine airplane in the U.S. I agree that would be the best scenario. 
But of course, you know, with PIC time, I was, and this is where we get a little more granular. So this is a very important point here. He says, I was wondering how many multi-engine hours most regionals are looking for to start. That's what we just talked about. Also, and here's the point, I was thinking, and maybe you could address this on your show, the difference between PIC and SIC hours. I assume that having 2,000 hours PIC in a caravan would be better than 2,000 hours SIC in a King Air, or even say 1,000 SIC and 1,000 PIC. I see the airlines are only looking at PIC hours. I could be wrong about that, but that is an outgrowth of my original question. She can't get a job that would give her lots of PIC twin turbine time. Would it still be better to get it in a single engine turbine? I guess I'm just thinking that starting at 135 in the U.S. flying a twin turbine, you might get 500 hours per year with a bulk of that being SIC at least at first. So if you compare that to flying 1,000 to 1,200 hours per year PIC, Right off the bat, even that was a caravan time when you further her goal faster. I don't know. I'd really like to see her get a job in U.S. flying in the U.S. airspace system rather than out here with me, mainly because as a father, this place is quite dangerous and unforgiving of mistakes. You know, it's interesting that, that you said that. Uh, I'm glad you added some granularity to this whole issue. Yeah, I, I would definitely go for the PIC time and try to build the multi-engine time. But I would still look at trying to get a left seat job in a in a King Air or anything that's a multi-engine. Uh, they are out there, but they're kind of they're cropping up a little bit now, where you you never saw those before with really low time. So get, you know, keep your eyes open. I, I hate to say that it it won't happen, but it'll be tough to find that. But always, always, always keep looking for that opportunity. So now that you've added this to this, I, I'd have to say the gosh, yeah, the PIC is very important. Uh, but also, let me let me just add one note to this. If you were to get on with a regional, and this is moving on, this is in your second stage of your career. If you were to get on with a regional and you had a lot of multi-engine SIC time at a regional airline, you will get hired with the majors. I mean, majors are hiring people with strictly SIC time in a turbine, in an airline operation, okay? So so make sure we understand the distinction between trying to get on with a regional, now you're at the regional getting on to a major. So the point is, when you do get to that regional, make sure you start applying right away at the majors because you never know what might happen. Well, answer me this, Carl. Um, I've, I have not been through the airline interview process. I know you've done it several times. <laughs> um, probably a little more than you would have, more you would <laughs> like to have. Um, what is the airline, the regional airline view of SIC multi-time? Yeah, SIC multi-time is multi-time they prefer PIC. They definitely prefer the PIC time. Uh, but, but the multi-engine time is multi-engine time. And, and it's not as important, to answer your question, as is the PIC time. You're correct. Right. Uh, especially right now. I mean, you know, we're talking right now, 2014. Right. Uh, they're, they're looking at total time, PIC time. Cause you, yeah, what I'm hearing they is wanna hire I captains. care about multi-engine ATP. And that's it. It's I mean, a that's big really right it. there. That if, makes if you it, get that and you can breathe, well, then you can exactly you can work. And, and remember, you don't even need your multi-engine PIC with most regionals right now as we speak because they'll take you as long as you get your multi-engine ATP within the next, say, six months from now. Uh, my only caution that I'm going to say is that, say we do have a downturn, which we eventually will at some point in the economy, you might get stuck not having that, that multi-engine time. But it does look at, you know, any any application. Say you're going for a corporate job and you have 500 hours of SIC and, and multi-engine. You know, that that's actually, you know, a good thing to have, you know, as opposed to having no no multi-engine time. 
So I think that that's really important. So yes, if you you know to answer this question, I I definitely gosh, if I could get all that PIC time, let me let me add to this. The last episode, I, I spoke with a bush pilot, and. One of the things, and I know you don't like the term bush pilot, uh, <laughs> Ryan, but uh, he, he actually, when he went for his interviews, they saw that on there. And they said, wow, you know, that's the kind of pilot they want to hire. Somebody who has a lot of decision-making skills and is able to make decisions in, in really tough, tough situations like flying, you know, out there in the bush. And it's just like being a flight instructor. You're constantly making safety decisions, et cetera. Yeah, Eric's so, rule of thumb is that PIC is always better than SIC oh, yeah. when you're looking at it. And um, PIC anything is always better than SIC anything. Yes, yeah. Well, that hopefully that's helped you out there, especially you You have a very, very unique situation. you know. And, and if she doesn't take the job with you, I might come down and fly with you. I mean, yeah, I, again, uh, the adoption the offer adoption is open. Offer. I don't really like my parents anyway, Brian. I'm sure they'll act. I'm an adult. So it doesn't matter. They don't, I don't need their permission. Don't. What am I thinking yeah, exactly. about? Exactly. <laughs> Well, thanks so much. I tell you. Oh, and he does continue here. And, and um, he says on other topics, he says, thanks for the scholarship program. Uh, we are signed up on your website. And, of course, are going to work through the scholarships listed and try to get additional uh, funds uh, for their flight school bills. We plan on becoming paying members in the near future. Well, uh, thanks so, so thanks for all the hard work you're doing to get this off the ground. It's really nice to have all the info in one place that's been researched already, so we know exactly where to go to apply for each scholarship. I found most scholarship listing websites to be virtually useless, and they recommend scholarships that just don't apply to our situation. So it's amazing and refreshing to have one place to go to get good and reliable information. I really appreciate that. Uh, what he's talking about is it's uh, aviationscholarshipsguide.com. It's actually housed on aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. And what we've done is uh, I have a, a person that's in charge of the scholarships, and we actually have a list of scholarships where they can actually look up what the requirements are, how to apply, and then we actually vet those scholarships. In other words, we make sure those scholarships are valid. They may not, You may not be able to apply for them today, but we always update the date that they will have the application window open again. And uh, it's been a terrific uh, uh, project for me, and I know, uh, I think, Eric, you've actually seen it, haven't you? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say on behalf of my students, I really appreciate you guys putting that together. I know that was a, a labor of love, not love, a love yeah. labor of hate at the beginning. I know yeah, it's so it, much better now having having Russ helping out. Um, gosh. I know he's changed your life he really in all has. sorts of ways. So shout out to Russ, too, Russ, for helping yeah. Carl not go insane. <laughs> but no, seriously, the scholarship resource, um, you know, you and I had talked about that really early on when it was still a concept. Um, and I, I think it's a tremendous resource. It's something that's so necessary in this business because the cost is so high, and there are tons of opportunities people just don't know about, or they're getting, like Brian said, bad information. Um, so I really appreciate you guys doing that, and um, you know, huge thank you on behalf of my students because it's it's already yielding benefits for them. So thank you. That's awesome. Well, you're welcome. And actually, the, the honestly, the reason that I I did this, it's almost like with the podcast. I really didn't want to do the podcast. It's I felt driven to do this, and the reason I was driven to do the scholarships guide is that so many people were asking me, "How do I get money for this?" And I was doing all this research, and I said, "Where's the online guide?" And it wasn't there. There was a gentleman that was doing this. He was a Delta captain, and he did a great job, but he retired years ago and, and stopped doing the website. I said, you know what? There's a service that needs to be out there that I can find these scholarships, and that's the only reason we did this. I'm glad you mentioned Russ. Russ is, Russ is actually the person 
who is administering the scholarships guide. And because of Russ, I've been able to sleep at night. Because if you know, <laughs> if you notice, these, instead of on the flight deck, instead of on the flight, yeah, right? <laughs> but he's just done a bang up job. I tell you, we, we, it, what, what's happened is that we, we really have been able to put out there some really, really good scholarships, things that, you know, that that are have helped so many people in so many ways and I'm, I'm very happy about that I'm really proud of that fact I'm proud of what what Russ has done in the future though just to let you know uh, it's right now it's $50 for the annual membership you don't need it yet because what we've done is there's 10 of those scholarships out there anybody can look at an additional 50 if you actually just register on the website and that after that it's going to be $50 for the year or $5 for a month if you just want to look at a few. Uh, so that actually is very, very inexpensive. I've been asked by a few people, will you have a printed guide? We are looking at that. Uh, printing such a directory, it's it's not going to be the cheapest thing in the world. We're looking at a book that's like $75 or more just because of the printing costs. But but it's a good, you know. And two, that information inches. changes on a semi-regular basis. The yes. scholarship may not be around the next year it was this year, so having an out-of-date version could actually give you erroneous information. Right, and that's the reason uh, the the follow-up to that is each of these scholarship guys, if we do print it, it'll have a year on it, mm-hmm. and then each we'll do one for each year. Uh, the, so that's something you can look towards possibly coming in the future. And uh, if because a lot of people still do want the book in front of them, I know I, I did when I was researching mine. So uh, again, thanks for the mention of the scholarships guide, and uh, I encourage anybody to go out there because you never know what kind of money you might be able to get in a scholarship. It's uh, mainly for people that are younger, starting their careers, but there's others for for folks that are a little bit. Yeah, older I found money that I never would have known existed if I hadn't gone to look for it. Yeah, exactly. Because your yeah. guide didn't exist yes. way back in the day when we were still hand propping airplanes no, when yeah. I was doing it. <laughs> Not that long ago. Yeah. That was more your speed. E6Bs, you yeah, know, that, that, was your, that was more your speed. <laughs> that was my speed. Carl used to have to hand prop every lesson. <laughs> Not every lesson, come on. That and was but, only yeah, my we, private. We, we he was still doing started. that during his multi-engine. <laughs> yeah, and then they invented this thing called GPS. That was cool, you know, where you can actually navigate from point to point. That was pretty neat. I actually did that a little later in my career. And uh, I thought that was that was the cat's meow when you used to be able to just follow a line. I thought point, people point in your generation had a hard time spelling GPS. Yeah, we did. But actually, we had the young generation that taught us. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, as a matter of fact, the person who taught me the GPS was half my age. Right. Yes. I wish you guys could see Carl's face right now. He's glaring at me. I'm afraid he's going to reach across the table and slap me. <laughs> it's okay to be advanced in age, experienced, or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And uh, and by the way, on the Sun and Fun deck, we did. Uh, I know I, there was a follow up. They they wanted to know, or, or we had a vote out there, what I should do with my hair because I'm a bit of a gray haired person. And they said to keep it that way. People called it distinguished, so I'm glad I'm distinguished and not old looking. <laughs> But but apparently, of course, Eric Carl, is, apparently <laughs> Carl didn't read my comments on that survey. But no, okay. we we deleted those. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, thanks again for the the mention on the scholarships. Also, uh, he continues. And by the way, uh, just as a caveat, we don't recommend any flight schools on this podcast. We kind of have to do that for certain legal reasons. I will have people on from those schools on the podcasts, and the ones that uh, this that he mentions or asked in this question I've actually had on before on a different show. So, and I've interviewed maybe for Sun and Fun, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, we can't really do that here just because of some of the agreements that I have uh, with some of our sponsors. And also, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's directories out there and there are, if you go to AOPA as far as uh, what type of schools are out there and that type of thing. So, uh, but be careful of any directory. I mean, again, it could be old 
And uh, it's important to really do a lot of research and get opinions about different it's schools. It's like airline forums. I mean, if you're going to go out and grab this information, be aware of what you're reading. Just now, have a filter. Uh, uh, th- that's a great point. You know, th- the forums, one of the good things about the forums is that you will find information that, from people that have actually had a problem, uh, you know, like a travel guides and things like that. So if that's true, do some more research. And if you see a, a common a thread here, then you, you might want to look twice at that school. So uh, he was actually mentioning the fact that there's a lot of schools here uh, in the Lakeland Linder area that uh, allow people to come in from other countries and get their ratings. That is actually true throughout the state of Florida. There is a tremendous amount of There are a large out. number of flight training schools in Florida who only do um, international training. They won't train domestic students. They only train international students. And and do you know why that is, right, Eric? You, you can speak towards that? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you get a fat check up front, and that's really nice. You know, you're going to have a student there for four to six months, and you get a nice $50,000 check the day they show up. And, I mean, from an economics perspective, you know, 80% of the training done around the world is done in the state of Florida. I mean, and that's that's a, I don't make this stuff up. I mean, that's, that's FAA data. Um, you know, this, when you look at certificates issued, Florida is this huge circle. And then, you know, out uh, West Arizona, Utah, there's some, there's some big, there's some big academies out there also, but there's just so much training going on in the state of Florida. And speaking of which, there's also a lot of opportunities for, for funding. Now, uh, with that said, I know that there's a couple of people that have written to me about asking about having somebody on concerning financing and funding your education. Uh, we can call, talk scholarships all we want. I will say one thing that certain people at certain financial institutions, uh, they really don't want to come on the show. And I'll tell you why. Because in the past, there's been, and there's someone actually wrote a book about this, there there have been some unscrupulous flight schools out there that have taken people's money and they've actually not gotten the training or they've gone to training and thrown them out for any little reason and they kept the money. For instance, say you went to a flight school and you you got a loan for $35,000. At $5,000 into it, they decide to cancel your training. Well, you'd think you'd get your money back, but you don't. And now you're on the hook for that $35,000. So that has happened. I'm not sure how prevalent it is now because there's been some laws put into place. I'm sure it does happen, but it's really tough for them to do that. So uh, normally... The people that have been doing this type of financing in the past, uh, one of the reasons they, they're reticent about coming onto the show is that they, they've actually been ambushed a lot of times during interviews. And uh, because of the fact that, you know, they, there's been these issues in the past. They may not have done that, but right. but that, that, is, that is a big issue. It's, it's interesting I'm saying that. I'm, I'm hoping if you're listening, you're reading into it a little bit. What I'm trying to say is that really be careful about making out a $65,000 check to a school. Right. Uh, it's a little bit better to give them a deposit, uh, a smaller one, and then move forward from there. Well, and, and two, if you're going to do that, um, you know, this, this school should have some type of training contract where you can see what's expected of you, what's expected of them. There should be expected milestone dates that you will meet this point by this. And so it's a, it's a mutually agreed upon, um, you know, they're providing a service, you're providing a large portion of money, and it should be a mutually advantageous agreement. Let's also talk smaller schools. Uh, they can do the same thing. They can also go out of business. So just because you think it's just the big schools that do that, small schools, I've actually seen it done. And I know somebody who did that, who took money and then decided to go bankrupt, started a flight school. Well, it's the old 30. insurance scam. It's the same thing. Everybody <clears throat> yeah. pays in. Oh, we're bankrupt now and we keep everybody's money. I mean, that 
It, it does happen. Yeah. And I, I think one of the main things you have to look at if you're going to a smaller school, especially one that's doing um, uh, foreign training, make sure that their visa process is legit um, because there are a lot of people who um, will bring you in on a, you know, a, a tourist visa and issue you a pilot mm. certificate, which is against INS regulation. Right. Um, it, I mean, people do it all the time. And really, the INS is a lot like the FAA. And until there's a problem, they're not really going to do anything about it unless you just happen to catch it on the site inspection. But if you're coming in for a full course of training, you should be on a student visa, um, whether you're going through an academic institution or whether you're being sponsored by the school that's bringing you in. So just, you know, if you're going to be a, a sponsor for bringing international people, it sounds sort of like from what Brian's comments are, that's sort of what he's looking at. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to be a sponsor sending people to the United States to conduct training um, who are going to be coming in who are not U.S. citizens, you know, there there is a process by which those people come in. Um, INS is very specific about how that works. Um, and, you know, you need to develop a relationship with a receiving school um, and, and, and create a funnel. Um, just, you know, shotgunning people into the U.S. airspace system, hoping that the U.S. school is doing it correctly, I would definitely advise against that. You definitely want to know who you're working with. Uh, you want to talk to previous customers and make sure that they have the reputation that they that they should and make sure everything's being done above board because there's it's not just financial fraud. I mean, there's tons of fraud going on. It does, And it it's not just aviation. It's any business. But whenever something has a price tag this high, it just creates a lot more uh, a lot more public interest. So just like anything else, you know, know who you're dealing with and uh, make sure what you're doing is above board. Well, thanks, Eric. I, I think we've given people a lot of food for thought on that one. Well, Brian asked Brian's, a lot of really good questions. Yeah, Brian, that was so, and please keep them coming, Brian, because you have some, some really good and insightful comments. As a matter of fact, we're hoping to have Brian on at some point to talk about flying, doing some mountain flying, which would be wonderful to, to have him on the show. A uh, little bit different time zone, but that's okay. I'll get up early or stay up late, whatever it is. <laughs> Moving on to the next question. It's a subject's not too late to start. It says, I wanted to thank you for your podcast here and also on Stuck Mike. I recently came across both and I've listened to nearly every episode of both. My dream job is to fly for Grand Canyon Airlines, flying their air tours. More than that, I want to fly caravans. He needs to get a talk <clears> to <throat> Brian. He needs to talk to Brian. My story is long, so I won't go into all of it you know he's 48 years old and uh he had cancer and it was curable and he's had a lot of uh, other medical issues and uh right now he's currently driving a 18 wheeler just to keep the uh, income coming in he's interested in knowing more about scholarships so i can earn my multi-engine also would love to hear about pilots who have built hours as jump pilots i'm currently trying to find a place i and i can't get a high performance endurance or excuse me find a place that i can get a high performance endorsement reasonably I also have a complex endorsement. Anyway, I was delighted to see there are others obsessed with flying like myself. Working on a truck, I'm gone from home about 100 hours a week. Your podcast put me back in touch with and relight my fire. Thank you so much. You're doing great work. I tried to explain my obsession to my wife's grandfather. So I said, well, it's kind of like a disease. He says, isn't there something you can take? He says, yeah, flying. Anyway, great job, and thanks again, Dave. Somewhere on the road, wishing to be at an airport. Oh, that was Dave. That was awesome, dude. I, I tell you, just let him know that it's a disease and it's only curable by flying. And uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head. You know, I, I really give you credit for overcoming some of those those incredible obstacles in your, in your life and this amazing journey. And and as far as scholarships are concerned, the majority of scholarships are actually for for jets, uh, not to actually get your multi engine rating. But we are doing some research into the actual multi-engine ratings themselves. There's not a bunch of them, but there's there's a few. 
uh, it's not as prevalent as everything else. It's one of the toughest ones to find uh, money for as far as a scholarship is You know, concerned. I've talked to um, some of the uh, light twin manufacturers about possibly trying to put together some type of multi-engine scholarship program. Because uh, when you look at um, you know some of the, the bigger twin makers, um, you know, you'd have to have your multi already. You're not going to go out and get your multi-engine rating in a Baron. Not that you can't do it, but it just it's silly because it's going to cost so much money. Um, it's like getting your helicopter training in an aerocopter. Right. Or, or it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and uh, I, I would love to see something like that happen. Um, usually, especially in the academic circle, by the time you get to your multi-engine rating, it's usually your second or third year of, uh, of collegiate aviation. And by then, the uh, student loans are pretty much topped out. And you know what you're what you're bringing in. You just spend a whole lot of money getting your commercial, especially if you had to build some extra time. Um, and now here comes this multi, where now you're operating at three hundred plus dollars an hour. Um, you know, and your your benefits are lower. So it even in the academic circle, it's a problem. I'd love to see uh, somebody step up with a uh, multi-engine training opportunity. I mean, not to say that getting a you know a type rating scholarship in an A320 is still really nice to have but for that to really be useful to you you'd already have to have your multi-engine rating so it's um, yeah, yeah I understand that's a need and um, I'm looking forward to Carl and Russ's work on that uh, yes. because I have students who would love to be in the same position as Dave here and, and that is a challenge and I actually the, what we've done is and that's the other part of the scholarships guide that you don't see is that not only do we do the research we we work with some of these scholarships providers and we float those opportunities and say hey listen there's a need for this you know can you make a scholarship that that fits this need and that's the one thing that I absolutely love about doing this is all of a sudden people are like gosh I never thought of that I never thought that there were multi-engine pilots needing a scholarship. You know, I figured just private instrument commercial. It seemed, and I think the reason I kind of understand it, it doesn't take very long to get the multi-engine. So it's kind of like looked over a little bit. It's it's almost like in the commercial single engine. It happens so fast that sometimes it's overlooked as far as a scholarship opportunity. So we are floating that, and we are uh, we're in discussions with quite a few people there. So again, thanks for the question. Uh, the next question actually is a comment. Um, he talks about uh, missionary pilot dream. He says, thanks for answering my question regarding being a missionary pilot. I just subscribed to Premium Account on your site and was looking through the scholarships, but I didn't really seem to like that there are options out there for the guys in the situation, in my situation. I don't meet the age requirements, the gender requirements, nor am I currently attending college. If there's anyone who can help me find some support, it would be you. I've applied to, to a flight school, a humanitarian mission nonprofit flight school, and I'm Waited here if I got accepted. If I get in, it will cut the cost of, of getting my commercial pilot license to about 30000 Wow, that's great. That's really good. That's awesome. That is nearly half the amount of most programs I've looked at, I've looked into, but it's still a lot to take on financially for where I am right now. I'm working at a mom-and-pop cargo company here in Oahu as a loader and front desk guy. It's a great opportunity to learn the operation side of doing cargo on a smaller scale and on the side. I've gotten some cool opportunities to fly right seat with my pilots and fly some of the 208s. The director of operations said, I, once I get my private pilots, I can start building hours on the empty return flights. That is a huge opportunity to get free flight time. I'm chopping at the bit to get my private pilots so I can start the time building process, but I just don't have the funds. I see the value of aviation in places where other transportation methods don't work. I have a heart to serve and, and bless people, and that drives my passion for aviation. Any help you have to offer would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much, Ryan. Ryan, you know, I think you're right on, on the right track there, what you're doing. As a matter of fact, what you talked about a loader, uh, we had somebody on the 
on the podcast a long time ago who Handel Wellington was his name, and he's actually flying overseas uh, for a company uh, in the uh, Middle East. And he actually did exactly what you did. So I want you to listen to his story. If you want to look at, go back to I think it's episode number three and listen to that to his story. And I think that you would get a lot of encouragement from him. He didn't do the missionary side, but I have talked to people at Mission Aviation Fellowship and a gentleman who has a lot of hours flying. He wants to come on the show, talk a little bit more about what it's like. Honestly, the and and just the other gentleman too. So there, there's a lot of people that we're finding that are doing this type of work, and it's some great work. You can actually get paid. In certain instances, uh, you have to find your money. It's just like any mission work. Sometimes they just pay you from that organization. So there's many different avenues to go there. So I uh, appreciate that, Ryan. Um, there's... Uh, did you have any comments to make on that? There's I mean, uh, obviously, great opportunity being able to build some time. Um, and, you know, and that's that's really how most of us did this. I mean, I don't know all of Carl's background early on, but a lot of those ride sharing opportunities and things like that, it's, it's a huge way to get your foot in the door places and to be able to build some experience. Um, you know, definitely take advantage of that. Um, you know, people usually hear, oh, oh yeah, free time. Yeah, well, and, and that. And there's there's good free time and there's bad free time. There's the bad free time where you're being exploited, and there's the good free time where you're actually benefiting in, in some real way. Um, and uh, so you know, look for those good opportunities. Don't let people exploit you just because you're hungry for time. But this particular instance is a great opportunity for you. Congratulations on being able to to be in that position. Um, and ultimately, I think um, there are a lot of people in your position who are looking to if I could just get the private. You know, and I think there, I hear that a lot. Um, you know, uh, a lot of my students are uh, students who are, are veterans from the armed services, and so they have post-911 GI Bill benefits. And so when they come into an academic program, the academic, uh, the academic component of that um, allows the VA to pay for 100% of their training, including their private. But uh, for free A students who want to go not the academic route, but go through a, a pilot academy or something like that, they have to come with a private on their own. So I hear a lot people saying, if I could just finish this private, if I could just find a way to do that. Um, and I see there's a, a comment a little bit later on here uh, where you're already working through the ground portion, and that's awesome. And it's about motivation and keeping at it. Don't let it languish. Um, it does take a while. My private took me five years. It took me five years to do my private. Um, and at this, while you know, you can look at that and say, well, that's really frustrating that it took you five years. Yeah, but I have a great appreciation for my pilot certificate. I worked really hard to get it, um, and I take great... Um, it has great value to me. So I don't do stupid things in airplanes because I know how hard it was to get that certificate. Um, and it has a meaning to me. And so I, you know, I've been in your situation. I, that was me. If I could just get this private done, then I can go to college and do the rest of this. Um, and, uh, then that I know exactly where you're coming from. And the main thing is just keep plugging. Don't give up. And the fact that you're already moving forward and you're keeping things going, you're already on the right track. Yeah, I don't think I'll have any problems. It's, uh, but it's great that you're looking towards that. And, and uh, but thanks for that question. Hey, by the way, I, I did uh, get back to him about this, and he sent something in that I think uh, I'd like to share with you uh, after my comments to him. He says, uh, he said, you know, I told him I'd find some scholarships. And by the way, there are some scholarships out there that you can get your private pilot license. And actually, there's one here in Polk County. 
Uh, Mr. Ray actually has a scholarship, and, and there's a couple other ones too. So make sure you go to Aviation Careers Podcast and take a look at those scholarships. Um, and he says, that's great. I'm so thankful for your comment uh, commitment to the podcast. Just listen to the most recent Stuck Mike Havcast this afternoon at work. I think there's a common theme here. Seems like a lot of people also listen to Stuck Mike. By the way, Stuck Mike is not really careers. It's just about the passion for aviation and flying. So if you're into flying, it's kinda, it is a lot of fun. So as a matter of fact, uh, Eric Crump's going to be on, on one of the upcoming episodes. So, And we all know Eric. Looking so, forward to it. <laughs> to update his story, he says, uh, he, like you said, he's deep into the, the uh, ground school course and really enjoying his flight instructor. Yeah, that's his one step towards his goal since the last email. So I'm great. You know, if you're listening to this, of course, try to take one more step towards that one, your goal and your career goal, no matter what it is, just like he just talked about. He's also, uh, com- you know, combining listening to your advice to people who, uh, and getting deep into the study of John Maxwell's 15 Laws of Growth and have helped me get real about addressing the goals. And thanks again for your terrific uh, work. I look forward to your next topic, Ryan. You know, it's interesting. The, this uh, 15 Laws of Growth by John Maxwell is outstanding. Outstanding. You know, Ryan, I actually bought that uh, right after you sent this email, and, and I'm almost done with it. Absolutely incredible. And and, and when I'm coaching people about their careers, I, I, I'm going to start telling them to go look at this book. Also, if you get a chance, uh, you can click on our website, aviationcareerspodcast.com, click on the actual Audible. And you can actually, if you don't have Audible right now, you can download that book for free as a trial, as long as you sign up for the trial for one month. And if you don't want to continue in the trial, then you can actually cancel if you don't want to continue with the membership. But you actually get to keep the book for free. And it also obviously helps uh, support this podcast. Another way you can do that is at audibletrial.com slash careers. Uh, and you go to audibletrial.com slash careers, and that also helps us out. But one of the most important things is to listen to people that are going to help you move towards your career goal. I will say one thing. I've, I've read and listened to over 200 books on, on success and on moving forward in your career, and I still find things like this, the 15 laws of growth, that, that continue my journey forward. You know, Don't forget, you know, I'm, I'm at where a lot of people want to be, flying for Energy Airline internationally, but you know, I keep trying to grow, and I think we all should. Uh, so definitely keep listening to books. I, I'm hope hope that Eric, you tell your students that too. The careers in aviation are—it's not a destination; it's a process. And if you're ever done, then you've done it wrong. Um, a, a good pilot um, is is continuing to develop and um, increase skill and knowledge, uh, whether it's in aviation or just in personal growth. That's part of what this business is. It's supposed to be iterative. And you should always be advancing yourself. I learn new stuff every day. Students ask me questions I've never heard before. And I'm like, well, that's an interesting take. Let me try to figure out how your brain got there. And by doing that, it just makes the quality of instruction that I'm personally able to provide and my college program is able to provide so much better. Um, But it it definitely is an iterative process. uh, And um, I haven't read 15 Laws of Growth. I know about it. I've heard about it. I've heard it's really good. Um, And Carl is vehemently nodding his head. And now I will probably have to pick up a copy myself and give it a look. Um, But uh, when I I mentioned in the last last time we talked about my business communication teacher, who um, really so much of what I know about interviewing and... um, well, business communication. Um, I attribute to her because she was she was really brilliant um, in the way she conveyed information. And there were several books that she had us she encouraged us to read. They weren't required texts or anything. And um, I, um, I I never really gave much attention to it. And um, we were doing a counseling session one day um, on a cover letter or something that I've written. And she mentioned some particular book I can't remember now. And she said, 
have you looked at this book? Because I think if you did, your cover letter would be a lot better. And I'm like, well, you know, I figured I'm, just, I'm here, so you'll teach me the material. I'll get a grade, you know, whatever. And she goes, listen, that's not how you succeed in business. Being good enough is not success. That's just being good enough. If you want to succeed, you have to be better than everybody else. And uh, something about that just resonated with me. And I, I took it into my flying also. And that's um, something I still subscribe to. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, having those references. And even even if you think you've got it all figured out, like not that Carl thinks he's got it all figured out, but, you know, <laughs> years and years of, of books and resources and all sorts of different levels of personal growth. And then you come across something you've never seen or heard. And it's just, it really resonates with you. And it's something you can share with other people. So, yeah, by all means, do that. Keep that attitude. Yeah, I don't care what you, where, where you are. As far as flying an airplane, I mean, my last airplane had 6,000 hours in it, and I was still learning. I was still researching. So uh, it doesn't matter, you know, if where you are in life. You should always constantly research. I, you know, I think I learned that from my father. He was a physician, and at nighttime, he would actually research different diseases and things like that before he go to bed and always trying to, to increase his knowledge about how to cure people. And it was that simple. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Completely unrelated question, just because I'm curious. While we're talking about personal development, then you get back to the Q&A thing, okay? Um, have you ever been to one of the manufacturing plants that builds the airplane that you fly? Uh, the one that I fly, no. Never no. one that you've actually flown? No, not the I've one always I fly. wanted to yeah. do that. I mean, with the, the Embraer plants here in Melbourne, right, in Florida. Right. Um, Love to go over to France and check out. So maybe uh, we'll over to Toulouse and check out the Airbus. There's facility. a great idea. We should do that. We should do that as a podcast. A podcast, an international podcast from yes. Toulouse. We should do that. Absolutely. I, I I might wind up popping over there at some point. So yeah, maybe oh, I we could go do down that. to Mobile and we'll talk they about have, Airbus careers has their there production too. facility in Mobile. So yes, maybe we don't have to cross the. No, pond we don't first. have to go very far. Dabble our toes a little yeah, bit. I was going to say let's go to Mobile first. Yeah, and that's actually where they're going to build the A320 Neo is going to be actually built in Mobile. That'd be really cool to go see. Yeah, I mean it's Alabama, but still we can go. And we have the Piper plant here in Bureau, too. I mean, I was just thinking about that. Oh, yeah, there's so many different plants. I've uh, actually had the opportunity to talk to Simon Caldicott uh, from from Piper about um, taking my students down and going through the Piper plant. Because I think it's just, you know, you can see pictures, you fly the airplane, but to see how it's actually put together and see the design process, the testing process in person, I think it's it's really good. But it, it goes to that, do you need to do that to be a good pilot? No. No. You know, does your dad need to research diseases that he's probably never going to see? Maybe, maybe not, but it's a way to broaden your understanding of the equipment. It's just, you know. I think that's important. Yes. Great, great point. As a matter of fact, we'll do that. I mean, we're here in Florida. Let's go Let's go on a road trip. I agree. So we're definitely going to do that. We'll take an And airplane. thank you, Carl, for offering to pay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Pay for lunch, <laughs> that is. You can, you can pay for the gas, for the, okay, air, okay. For the airplane. I'm oh, just kidding. Buddy pass. <laughs> yeah, buddy pass. <laughs> well, moving on to our next question. Actually, it's, it's more of a comment. It's uh, from Anthony. He talks about his adventure. He says, hi, Carl. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months now and wish I would have found it much sooner. My aviation career began when I was around eight years old. My father had to change jobs and started working line service at a local FBO. My brother and I were lucky enough to get the occasional ride in an airplane, but I never thought it would be possible to become a pilot myself. Fast forward almost 20 years. I, look, I took a summer job helping line service while my official job was out for the summer. While working at a private hangar facility doing line service and odd jobs, I was reminded of the early flights I took as a young boy. It was then that I decided to focus all my resources towards becoming a professional pilot. I began a lot like a lot of other people do. I found a local flight instructor and started taking lessons two to three times a week. I found some challenges during private pilot training, but nothing that was too difficult. After five to six months, I was able to pass the practical exam 
become a private pilot. Congratulations. Not bad. That's awesome. Very good. After joining a partnership in a Grumman Traveler and building time for a few months, I decided to tackle the instrument rating. I had no difficulties with the training, and I was instrument rated just over a year after I began my primary flight training. That is, that's pretty terrific, awesome. I think. Great. After the instrument rating, I was running low on funding, and I was flying what little hours I could. I applied to the local Business Aviation Association for one of their scholarships, and I was awarded a scholarship that financed my commercial rating. That is awesome. I continued on flying and decided I had wanted to pursue the CFI route. Once again, I was awarded a scholarship to go after the training to become a CFI. This story is just too good to be true. <laughs> this is awesome. I call shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Listen, I, I can verify this. Uh, on December 31st, I passed my, my big bad CFI initial practical test just about two and a half years after starting training, and I'm now an employed CFI, and the future looks great. I really can see the doors starting to open up to a bright career that I've always dreamed of. That is awesome and I want terrific. this guy to come talk to uh, my students. He should come talk to your students. As a matter of fact, we should have him on at some point. But it gets better. We do know somebody that helped him out. My advice to anyone else would be to have the same advice a flight instructor told me. I was mentioning to the instructor how far away I was after about 50 hours in the logbook. He asked me if I knew, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> and I asked him, how? He said, one bite at a time. That's stuck with me because that is all aviation is, one bite at a time. Thank you, Carl, for your work you do. I've learned a lot from your podcast and from Mr. Wachowski. Uh, so thanks to you and Tom. And just for additional information, he's got about 400 hours now, and, uh, and all of which have been paid for by hard work and seeking out scholarship assistance. I had asked him, by the way, what his scholarship was, and he received a scholarship from the Arizona Business Aviation Association and a scholarship from the Native American Indian tribe that he belongs to. Uh, and I cannot say that word but uh, in the different tribes, but we will have that link on the scholarships guide, and uh, we will put that out there for other folks that might be looking for the same type of thing. I think that's an awesome story. I can't but, say enough about it, that. I mean, but this is, you know, when Carl and I first started talking, I mean, you, most of you who've been listening to us for a while, we've known each other for a long time. Um, and we started talking about, um, you know, talking together sometimes on, on Aviation Curse podcast. And this is exactly the reason why I wanted to do this. This is exactly why I wanted to sit down with you, Carl, and talk about not just my experience in aviation, which was, you know, our first podcast that we did, which is fine. But these stories, because Carl telling you what Carl's journey was, Eric telling you what Eric's journey was, that's great, and hopefully that will inspire you. But these kinds of things, where these guys, you know, they go out and they really, you know, are lowering a shoulder and pushing their way through the aviation career process, coming up with advice like this one bite at a time, you know, that's that's why I do this, and that's that's why I work in this college program. That's the thing I love the most about working with my students, is watching that light bulb go off over their head and realize that they have this opportunity that they previously did not have access to. So kudos to you, Anthony, for being a hard worker, for um, for having not only the passion but the motivation to make that passion real. So, um, you know, my hat's off to you. You've obviously done you, you've done some really cool stuff, and uh, it looks like you've got a great outlook on the future, and uh, I, I look forward to seeing updates from you later on. And thanks, Anthony, for being such a great example for the other folks that are listening right now. Uh, and if you're listening to this, again, I'll have some links to those scholarships if you're looking towards it. And also to his story. So it's, it's a wonderful story. Thanks again. Moving on to the next one. 
Uh, it says, hi, Carl. I think it'd be interesting if you were to create a recommended reading slash listening list. I know you're a fan of Audible, and I would be interested in the books you recommend. Still enjoying the podcast very much, Dan. You know, Jan- Dan, I um, I think, uh, gosh, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. I'll put out a list of, of audio books that I recommend. Also, I use Amazon. And, of course, if you shop at Amazon, that helps the podcast. And there's a ton of books. And uh, you're going to think some of them might be strange because they have nothing to do with aviation. Uh, but I still think that they're very, very important. Some of them that have been recommended by Eric, by Tom Wachowski, and about and some of the other guests that have been on this show. So uh, you know, the, the, the was it the Ten Regrets of the Dying? That's one that sounds a little bit odd, but it's a it's a good one to look at, especially when, especially you're, when you're talking about motivation yeah. and, and you know living out your passion. Don't let the opportunities pass by you. It's a great book. Sure. Actually, excellent book. But yeah, we'll put that together. Don't know where I'm going to put it. I'll probably put it as a link at the top, you know, recommended reading. Oh, there you go. Gee, that was simple. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's the simple things in life. Right, work exactly. for Don't make things complicated. Make things Keep it simple. Hey, how about recommended reading? There's a great idea. So we'll do that. We'll put that out there. And, and uh, I'll also have Russ be building that one for me. But thanks thanks for those uh, that idea, by the way. And I, I think it's a great idea. Next uh, comes from Dan. The question is uh, seeking some advice. It says, uh, I recently started listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, and I really enjoy the work you do. Thank you for making so much valuable information available. It's great. I'm currently flying a King Air 100 in North Canada. It's my first job as a pilot. I'm really enjoying it so far. Before I started my career in aviation, I played college bas- excuse me, college baseball in the United States and was fortunate enough to play professionally for the Oakland Athletics minor league team. I enjoyed playing baseball. However, every time I saw a jet flying overhead, I always thought to myself, that's what I want to do, or that's what I want to be doing. Once I had gone up for my first flight lesson at my local flying club, I never looked back. My career aspirations are to become an airline pilot. I really enjoyed my time down in the U.S., and my girlfriend and I have dreamed of living in Florida, Southern California, or Hawaii. I'm a Canadian citizen with a Canadian commercial pilot license. My question to you is what type of advice would you have for a Canadian pilot who wants to immigrate to the United States and fly for, say, Hawaiian Airlines? I know I would have to convert my ATP to the FAA ATP, and now that the regionals are having a tough time finding enough qualified pilots with a new first officer ATP requirement, would there be an opportunity for me to get hired by a regional airline once I have the qualifications? Absolutely yes is my answer to that. Do you fly with any Canadians or know of any who fly for an American carrier? I know this would be a long, difficult process. However, I'm always up for the challenge. I appreciate any advice you can give me. Yes, I fly with a whole bunch of people outside the U.S. from countries all over the world. Uh, there's a lot of Italian pilots here. There's a lot of uh, specifically Canadian pilots, etc. But, you know, somebody that knows a lot about getting your Canadian license actually sitting here with me. Uh, or excuse me, your American license from Canada, and that's Eric. Eric, have what I kind of anything about getting a Canadian yeah, pilot say, license? Other way around. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I know I know a little bit about converting your uh, Canadian certificate to ATP credentials, just because um, I happen to have the benefit of being um, a part of that process when it was uh, first coming out. The joint agreement between Transport Canada and the FAA some years ago to create a Canadian conversion process, a Canadian reciprocity, where you can just convert very easily your certificate. Um, built um, that transition program as part of my time uh, with Glenn Publications as the aviation content manager. So um, I can tell you the process is a whole lot easier. If you haven't researched it, maybe you have. The, the process is a whole lot easier than what most people think it is. 
Um, that's why you know there there's a, there are whole provisions in the regulations and in the practical test standards for converting foreign pilot licenses to U.S. pilot licenses. Um, I should use the certificate word. Certificate. Yeah, that's right. uh, I'm going to get pinged for that. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, but this particular agreement between Transport Canada and FAA is a specific reciprocity agreement that goes above and beyond the regulatory requirements and actually streamlines the process so much that it is literally a conversion knowledge test. Um, you're going to take a conversion knowledge test on basically F, you know, U.S. airspace and some other basic concepts um, and regulations and things like that. But if you already hold the certificate uh, through Transport Canada, um, it's a U.S. knowledge test, no flight training requirement, um, and you can easily, with a couple of trips to the FISDO, uh, flight Standards District Office. I always use acronyms. Sorry, okay. um, <laughs> it's a curse. We're pilots, um, but uh, yeah. And then so but it, you can literally just convert your existing pilot certificate to a U.S. certificate. It's a lot easier than what you think it is, um, and it's specifically because of that agreement between Transport Canada and the FAA. Um, not necessarily the case for other countries, but that particular one exists. Quite frankly, because um, Transport Canada and FAA requirements are so similar in terms of training and certification. Awesome. Great. Great to know that. I appreciate that. Well, is there any links that we could put on the website that could help people to understand that? Sure. I mean, so, obviously, I, I can, we can provide yes. a link to, um, there's an information page um, on the Glime website that we created when that process came into being. There's lots of, um, you know, obviously, I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just saying there are lots of other resources available. Uh, this particular page explains the process and what the steps are, as well as provides a link where you can buy the conversion training course if you want to. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I talked to people who took the uh, Canadian conversion exams for both the commercial and the ATP without studying anything, you know, any formal study where they just sort of you know, reviewed FA regulations and FA airspace um, and had no problem passing the test. Um, there are other people who, you know, either, you know, have, most of those people had experience flying in the United States um, on a Canadian certificate. So they already understood those things. If you have no U.S. flying experience, I definitely recommend some type of test preparation uh, program just because it's it's going to be re relatively foreign to you. No Great. pun intended. No, I was going to say no pun intended there. Well, thanks. Thanks for the information, Eric. We'll get that link out there for you. Uh, next question. We're running a little bit uh, short on time. we got about uh, 12 more minutes, so we'll get these other two questions in here. Next question comes in from Salon, says, Hi, I've been enjoying your podcast for a while now. They are informative and especially motivating. In fact, so much I have tried to not listen, <laughs> actually, since it fuels a dream of mine since I was young. I pursued flying seriously after college and went to a school in the early 90s. I learned I earned a commercial multi-engine land and instrument rating in about 200, excuse me, 200 hours. I did well there and was pointed out to the staff after check rides as a great up-and-comer. During the CFI training, I ran out of money and started looking for ways to earn a living and get back into flying within a year or so. I found a stockbroker job and figured I would earn a couple of hundred thousand quick and get back into flying. Well, that was 20 years ago. I finally left the industry and went into what I thought would be a safe backup in financial planning. Unfortunately, it's not what I envisioned, and I find myself trying to think about what I want to be when I grow up again. I hear you, man. The flying dream never left through, and I, I flew periodically, periodically from the local airport occasionally. As my kids came along and expenses became tight, again, I found myself flying less and less. I'm at a point now at 46 where the hope of any aviation career is probably coming to an end. However, I want to make sure and completely explore the options before I stop dreaming. 
So the reason for my email is a Hail Mary. Do the one thing today to get some advice for exploring the next step. <laughs> Three metaphors in one sentence. In a last-ditch effort to realize a dream. Do you have any suggestions or career counselors you can trust in the Dulles, Virginia area? Any direction would be helpful as I run out of time. Thank you for your optimism about the career, the industry, and keeping the fire alive in this old dog. Best regards. Well, you know, I appreciate the email. Uh, I talk to a lot of people that are at your age right now and that are looking to change careers. It's never too late to change careers. You just have to look at what you're getting into. I think you mentioned the airline career. Uh, you definitely easily could get into a career with a regional airline, possibly get into a major, depending on how things go with the economy. So, yeah, I definitely think you can you can get, you know, you definitely can obtain your career goal. Now, the one thing to look at, though, is, is make sure that you realize that the earnings potential might be a little bit lower because of the fact that you won't be flying for as long. Uh, so so just think about that. It's You're going to start at a low wage. You're going to stay at that low wage. You might become a captain at a regional, then you might go back to a, a major airline and, again, start at a low wage. You also uh, will have many different up and down cycles that you may have a tougher time going through possibly because of those up and down cycles because you don't have as much time to recover. So just remember, you know, you're, you're into, you know, finance, so you, you should know that, that that's coming up and hopefully you've saved a little bit of money there. Right. And, you know, when you look at, you know, another old dog like Carl. Um, Older you know, dog. <laughs> <laughs> older dog experienced dog <laughs> an experienced dog like carl um you know you know carl's journey through which you guys have heard several times is is one of the things that i often point to i use i know carl's shocked but i use carl as an example i have students who are 16 year old dual enrolled high school students and i have uh 60 year old third career people in my college program um who are looking at moving to hawaii and becoming ride operators so you know what it's it's never too late um, it really is not. Um, it, it is about what you want to do in aviation, like Carl said. You got to know what the, you know, what the timing structure looks like and all that. But um, you know, it's it's never too late to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people look at the airline field specifically and say, you know, it's you know, entry is a young man's job, which is not true at all. Um, not that airlines don't like hiring young people who you know who they can invest in, who will you know stick in the system for a while. But um, quite honestly, airlines love having people, you know, in Carl's position who come in with a lot of life experience, a lot of maturity, where, yeah, a 25-year-old pilot may be with an airline for a longer period of time. Um, that's great. But, you know, somebody who comes in with a lot of life experience, a lot of, um, you know, prior work outside of aviation can also be interesting to an airline. Um, and they, they value that equally. And Carl can talk to that more than I can. But um, but I, I just encourage anybody who's listening, you know, if you're, you know, if you're over 30 and you're thinking well the airlines aren't a career for me that's that's just not true at all and not from not from my experience not from people i know in the business anyway yeah and i think specifically he's talking about an aviation career i'm not sure it's it can only be the airlines and and if if you ask me if any aviation career my gosh yeah 46 years old uh, you have quite a few years left in you if you want to keep flying you can f keep flying uh, corporate and there's you know, like you said, operators, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff. I mean, and we're, we have some of those people on here, people that own their own businesses, towing banners, people that do aerial surveys. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff to do out there flying. So so don't give up on that dream. Uh, the airlines you can do uh, depends on how you want to define that. Remember this, the regional airlines are not so regional anymore. You know, one of the things I miss about flying at the regional airlines is that I don't go to as many places. That sounds odd, but... 
think about this. I, I flew to 25 cities in Mexico alone, and I probably won't be seeing that again. Because at the majors, you don't fly those little towns, those little operations. I've been to every state in the United States, except for Alaska and Hawaii. And, you know, I wouldn't have that opportunity if flying for the majors sometimes. You know, you, you just go, say, do transcons, that type of thing. So don't discount the regionals. As a matter of fact, you, I think becoming a regional par, uh, pilot is very important because of that type of experience that you and get. And career growth in the regional airline field is real. I mean, people look at the regional airlines kind of like not to go back to the baseball example, but like the minor leagues. And your whole goal of playing in the minor leagues is to get to the major leagues. There are great careers, Um in the regional airline industry, you know, captains making well over six figures and, and live great lives and have great schedules. And so, I mean, don't disc, just because the starting wage is low and acknowledge, we acknowledge the fact, yes, it is a low starting wage. Um, but, you know, there's tons of career growth in the regional industry. The people that I went through flight training with who never planned to upgrade to the majors, they love their regional job. And, um, you know, they, they, they want to do that forever. Um, and I, I think there are people who have that experience. So don't rule out don't rule out a career in the regional airline industry. You know, and, and to add to that, this is something that is a great point you brought up, Eric, is that I fly with people that always say the same thing to me. I didn't go to the majors because I was making so much money at the regionals. That says something. Let's let's get a little more specific here. Put some color to it. I, you know, I won't say what I was making, but after after six years, I was making six figures at the regionals, but. I was working a little more than most. I have friends of mine that are, are Czech airmen, training captains, that type of thing, making 200000 a year at the regionals. And that's, uh, that's pretty tough to do, I know, because you're working so much. But it's there. If you want to work hard, you can do it. So do not discount the regionals because you're going to get some amazing flying. You're going to go to so many different countries. I've been to three countries in one day at a regional airline. Imagine that. You know, that's at a regional quote-unquote. So it's not the puddle jumpers that they were of past. So don't don't look past that opportunity. So there's a lot of guys making $100,000, 130000 a year, senior captains. At the we regions. talked about that a little bit in our last podcast when we were talking about the job fair, about people, you know, sort of poo-pooing the, the regional guys who were there. Um, it's just a mistake. No, it is. I mean, the, mistake, if, yeah. you're, if you like to fly, I mean, no offense. Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> I give Carl such a hard time. Instead of pushing buttons like me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah, transcons are fine and all until you can't feel your legs after right, three right. hours or whatever. I mean, <laughs> you know, to me, hour hops, hour and a half hops, that's just, it's exciting. Yes, it's a lot more work. But if you like flying and if you like being active, uh, the regional airline industry is great. It really is. Um, everybody looks, again, everybody looks at that starting wage and says, you know, you can't live this way. Well, that's not forever. But, you know, you don't start as a doctor making $200,000 a year either. So just acknowledge the fact that it's a high responsibility field. It's a high demand field. And there, you know, there is a seasoning process. You have to grow into that good income that, that you want. Um, but like anything else, and Carl and I have talked about this, if you go into aviation with your sights set on a six-figure income, you're going to be disappointed. You are not going to enjoy your career. You're going to have a very boring, unfulfilled life um, because... Yes, the the eventual financial payoff can be very good, but um, you know there are there's a lifestyle that you have to adapt to, um, and if you went there just to get the money, you're you're not going to be satisfied. Um, so you do have to have a passion for aviation. You have to care about flying. You have to care about safety and professionalism. And if you if you're doing it just for the money, there are other careers you can make the same amount of money in um, that you'll be a lot happier in. 
That's great advice, Eric. I can't can't add to that much more. That's terrific. I, I think that's true in, in most people's careers is that you do something that, that'll make you happy all day, and, and I think you'll have a happy, happy life. We're coming to an end, so I have one more question that I can – it's actually a comment from a, from a listener, and uh, then we'll wrap this up here today. Uh, he says, Dear Carl, my experience is, uh, in a way, similar to yours. I finished a five-year computer engineering degree almost three years ago. I went into computer engineering because it was a very accessible field, and it's also one where finding a job is usually rather easy. I've had a fantastic opportunity of being able to work alongside my studies in IT at different levels. This allowed me to realize that even though I was able to do the job, I did not enjoy it nearly as much as my primary passion, aviation. Boy, do I agree with that one. Uh, you know, I've spent many an hour in front of a computer still dreaming about flying an airplane. In the dark. In, in the dark, with in no a dungeon. Windows. Yeah, with no windows. Uh, and that's not far from the truth, actually, because I, I have spent a whole week inside a basement doing a programming for a bank before. Uh, I, he continues, I spent most of my childhood holidays on glider fields. My parents actually met each other at a glider field as well. I passed my glider pilot's license way before I was able to drive a car. Awesome. After graduation, I went on to train as an air traffic controller with the Swiss Air National Service provider. It was a blast. My initial goal was to become a pilot, but I figured becoming an air traffic controller would make for one heck of a plan B. Sadly, this all went down the drain after when they fired my entire class after one and a half years training and the day before we were going to work live traffic. Well, that's sad. That's Ouch. too bad. Sorry to hear that. This was something that was very hard to swallow. I went through a different phase of grief in dealing with this, but had the exceptional chance to have my loving wife being there for me. That is incredibly important, and, and I tell you, you're so lucky to have that someone who's supportive of you. He continues, this is now one rather long year after this happened. In the meantime, I've passed my private pilot license and have been building up hours. My love for aviation is now stronger than ever, and I've also started my studying for my ATP knowledge exam alongside my day job. I plan to start my IFR and commercial ratings next year as I need time to save up for this. All this means a lot of sacrifices, but I have faith that they will all work out. And he puts a little smiley face at the end. I'd like to thank you for all the effort you put into your podcast. It is very motivational for me and has really made me feel much better about my plans when I heard you had somewhat similar experience to me. Your advice has helped me feel comforted in the fact that changing careers was a great idea while at the same time taking measured risks by saving up money by doing another job. Thanks again. Greetings from Switzerland, Antoine. Well, thanks for the kind comments, and I'm sure with that attitude, you're going to move forward in your aviation career or any career you want, and you're going to move forward and be successful. And and please keep us updated as to your progress, and that's something we can share with, with the people that are listening right now. And Eric, I, I think you, you also can understand that you've seen a lot of people that have had that same you know downturns in their lives and they've been able to pick it up and, and move on to even a very difficult career to get into, such as aviation that requires many licenses and lots of money. And, and you know, I, I've done it. I actually got out of a real, really good career in computers and, and decided to move on to flying. What's interesting is after I left, about six months later, a lot of those people actually looked at me and said, you know, we wish we could have done what you were doing. I mean, that's that's absolutely incredible that you were able to change that and move forward. As a matter of fact, I took a huge leap, and at the same time, I bought a motorhome, and I lived in a motorhome for 18 months while I was flight instructing. So it was, it was a huge change in lifestyle. And if you want to see somebody that's that's doing that too, uh, you know, you can look at, you know, Len Costa at Trek for Life. He's actually changed his lifestyle and pursuing his dream. 
It's not in aviation, but it's not something he really wants to do. Right. And, you know, honestly, that's what this podcast is about. I noticed you mentioned the thing motivational. It really wasn't at first meant to be like that. It was more meant to be something where I can give you some information about these careers and give you an inside look and true knowledge about these different careers. But but really, you, you do need, I need a motivation. We all need motivation to keep moving forward in life, whether you get it through this podcast, your family, your friends. Uh, my The most important thing that I feel that I do is is remember this. You tend to become what you listen to. You tend to become the people that you hang out with, and you tend to become the things that you read. So try to fill your head and be with people that are a positive influence on your life uh, because that will help you move towards that career goal. When you when you start hearing those naysayers, try to turn them off. They may be your family, so it may be tough to turn them off. Maybe you shouldn't share those goals with them. There was a man that told me something a long time ago. He said, Carl, make sure you share your dreams, share your goals. But make sure you're careful who you share your dreams and goals with because those people can either help you or squash your dreams. Right. And and that's incredibly important. And, I, you know, I love my family. They've been incredibly supportive ever since I became a pilot um, or wanted to become a pilot when I was extremely young. Um, but the day I called my mom from college and told her I wasn't going to be a commercial airline pilot because I just made a decision, I just didn't want to go that direction anymore, she cried on the phone. Like She was just, it just wounded her. And that was really tough. I mean, you know, I'm like 18, 19 years old, and mom's boohooing her head off, you know. And at the time, I was like, well, you know, maybe maybe this wasn't the right decision. Maybe I need to rethink this some more. But, um, and that's not a dig on mom. Mom just, mom had a, a thought about how this was all going to work out, and now she was concerned, you know, her baby's away from home for really the, not the first time I've been on, you know, trips and things like that, but, um, you know, living away from home, and now all of a sudden everything that I had said I wanted to do since I was eight years old has changed, and, you know, I, I talked to, I, I talked to my parents all the time, but I remember talking to my mom maybe, you know, three or four months ago, and, and she said, we, I was talking about that, I said, do you remember um, when I was 18, I just got into college, and I said, I don't want to be a commercial airline pilot anymore, and you booed on the phone for 30 minutes. She said, yeah. So, you know, looking back, if there was if there was something I could change, I would go back and change that in a heartbeat because I understand now that where you are, the path you took was 110% better for you than what I thought you should be doing. And there's, you know, and, you know, again, it's not a dig on mom, but, uh, you know, I, I think that um, there's so much of that, and you you do need to make sure when you're sharing your goals and paths with somebody, um, you share it with the right kind of people, but also make sure that you that you provide some reasons. That's what I didn't do. I said, I'm not going to be a commercial island pilot. And so she's upset. I'm like, no, I'm just not going to do it. But I had all these reasons. You know, I wanted to be home more. I wanted to have a higher income potential early on in my career. Um, you know, I, I had these reasons. I just didn't properly communicate them. So when you go to people and you're looking for advice, especially from people who are not in the field you want to go into, make sure you know, you provide them with the background information they need to give you good advice. Um, it'll save you some heartache and maybe them too. Well, I think that's a great way to end the show is, is to talk about, you know, sharing our goals and our dreams, whether it's aviation or anything else. Also, if you're listening to this and you're trying to help somebody else, make sure you're that person that's being positive. Find out why they want to do what they want to do first and then help them move forward in whatever it is they want to do. And that doesn't mean sugarcoating things and telling people lies. No. Not you at can all. if you are if you like your career, you can be absolutely positive about it and be honest. Um, I think people think that you know if you're positive about your career then you must be telling lies. I'm the first one to tell you about the challenges that I face. I mean, I do work 
extreme hours. There's a lot of responsibility that comes along with it and a lot of pressure, but I love it. I would not want to do anything else. I absolutely love what I do. And, um, you know, if you're going to be the person who's providing that advice, make sure that you are, that you're being honest. Don't sugarcoat things. Be honest. Give people the right view. But, you know, at the same time, filling somebody's head with a whole bunch of negativity isn't good for you or for them. And I think that's what we're trying to do here at Aviation Careers Podcast is give you the information, let you make your decision, but also not sugarcoat it, like you said, give it an honest viewpoint, give both the positives and also the challenges. But, uh, well, Eric, we have to wrap up here. I really appreciate your being here again and and helping answer these questions. We have a whole bunch more. So, Eric, we're going to ask you to come back and help us answer a few more of these. I love doing it. I'm I'm fairly certain that I enjoy doing this more than the listeners like listening to me. But until <laughs> they until true. they all riot against you and show up with pitchforks and flames, um, I'm more than happy to keep doing it. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody. And remember to take our advice and everybody else's advice and put it you know, culminate it, bring it all together and then make your own decision. Make sure it's your career path that you're going towards. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening. Uh, A great way to get in touch with us is on the contacts uh, page. We also have uh, all the different information, the about your hosts uh, page there. And Eric, you can find Eric on Twitter at C Eric go C Eric go on Twitter. And then for us, it's just aviation careers, podcast.com slash contact. If you appreciate this uh, content, please visit our sponsors. Just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com. They're right out there. Uh, you can click on them, visit them, and uh, and if you do want to purchase something, make sure you do it there. If you could, it helps this podcast and helps us produce this podcast. Well, I hope that, that you've taken something from all these different stories and all these questions. And I, I want you to do something for me. I want you to, to think about what it is you've done in the past and one thing that you, one step you've taken towards this career, this career goal that you have, and I want you to think about a future goal. And I want you to now, if you can, if you're driving, whatever, just maybe stop, pull over, or try to remember this. Make one more step in your journey towards your path, towards your career goal. Just take one more step. It can be a small one. It can be reading an article about aviation. I don't care what it is. Just take one more step towards your career goal and do that now and write it down. Think about it and get it done before next week, before the next podcast comes out. Try to do that for me. I'd really appreciate it. And thanks for being here. This is, again, Carl Valeri, along with Eric Crump. And, uh, we, Eric, we appreciate you having you here, and we want to have you back again on the next episode. Love being here, guys. <laughs> and uh, I totally echo what Carl says. Keep awesome. pushing forward. Stay motivated. And you'll get there. Carl and I did. If Carl and I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, on that note, uh, safe flying, and uh, we'll talk to you next episode. Remember, show notes are available at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Be great, be terrific, fly safe. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.